Welcome to the Godspeed Institute, an enlightening and positive forum exploring all the world's religions and spiritual belief systems as an on-air classroom in an effort to help people better understand each other, promote tolerance, and foster peace. I'm your host, Care Hallandbeck. An atheist, Siegfried Gold took up prayer out of desperation. Overweight by 110 pounds and depressed, the 45-year-old software designer saw himself drifting from his wife and young son. He joined a 12-step program for food addiction that required, as many 12-step programs do, a recognition of God or a higher power and a spiritual approach to living. Four years later, Gold is trim, far happier in his relationships, and free from a lifelong ennui. He credits a rigorous prayer routine, morning, night, and before each meal, to a vivid goddess that doesn't exist. While Gold doesn't believe there is some supernatural being out there attending to his prayers, he describes himself nonetheless as having had a conversion that can be characterized only as a miracle. His life has been mysteriously transformed, he says, by the power of asking. This from an article in the Washington Post by Michelle Borstein. Mr. Gold joins us today to share about his intriguing journey. Siegfried, welcome to the program, and thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Now, let's talk about your journey. You are a self-described born-again atheist. I love that. First, as a beginning place, can you share some about the roots of your atheism? So I was thinking maybe I can say what I mean by calling myself an atheist, partly because some people say that I'm not an atheist because I pray to a god, even though I don't believe that that god exists. So everybody knows that gods exist as ideas or as characters and stories and mythology, and that the Greek gods exist with personalities and physical attributes and, and various stories, but nobody, as far as I know, worships them or believes that they exist as actual beings anymore. Hindu gods, of course, they sort of exist in that same way, but people still do believe that they exist, and same with the gods of the monotheistic religions, that they exist as characters in, in, in stories, but they also exist uh, for people who believe in them as supernatural beings that we can't see or obtain empirical evidence of their presence, at least not empirical evidence that would be recognized by, you know, people who don't believe. But, you know, religious people think that they have vast powers and they continue to shape the course of human lives. Most atheists, and, and also plenty of religious people, don't believe in supernatural beings or powers. And that's kind of where I am. So that, so for me, the explanations that I'm willing to accept for how the universe was created come from physics and explanations that I would accept for how causality works in the physical, chemical, biological, or medical uh, realms come from the sciences that study those things. And my understanding of human history or thinking comes from history, sociology, psychology, anthropology, philosophy, and, and then my understanding of ethics and spirituality comes from philosophy, theology, and the world's religious traditions. So that's what I mean to say that I'm an atheist. I, I, the place I get my explanations from 
doesn't rely on any sort of supernatural anything. And the roots of that, for me personally, they just come from the same place as anybody's atheism, from the historical development of human thought about the origins and workings of the universe. Thank you for that. It's, it's intriguing to me because, you know, others look at the same things like the universe and, and the wonders and, and would, you know, as in the movie Contact, <laughs> have the opposite point of view. I couldn't imagine uh, something not creating this. Um, so I would just wanted to go a little deeper into that and to ask if you had any experience as a child, for example, uh, in, in religion, in your family, or did you grow up in a, in a very secular household? And how did that sort of frame you for your adult point of view? Yeah, my family was not religious or spiritual. My parents grew up in Jewish households, both of them. My mom's a little bit more religious than my dad's, but by the time I was born, they had pretty much left observing of Judaism aside. There was some talk of, of God, but I think more is an interesting question. I can relate to that somewhat. Um, my uh, parents were of different faiths. My mother was Catholic and my father Jewish, and we grew up um, also in a secular household. My parents decided that uh, I guess I would, I would choose for myself when I grew up if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess this was sort of a reverse psychology <laughs> effect in my life that uh, growing up without it, I, I grew up to then uh, become a theologian. And it's interesting to me because, you know, previously in the generations, both sides of my family were, you know, affected directly in, in World War II. And, uh, and I know that religion had played a part previously. This is a sort of an, just an observation I'm thinking right now that, um, you know, post-war um, that there are many, many people who sort of moved forward and, and wanted to let go um, of, the, of the tradition um, in that society. So now, what was happening to you in, in your life that led you uh, to the program that I was discussing in the introduction? And, you know, this is a great story, and so I, I would just appreciate if you take your time, you have the floor. Um, what was going on that led you to a spiritual practice as an atheist? So, yeah, from that passage you read from the article, um, I was depressed, I was very unhealthy, I was fat, I was discouraged, hopeless, ashamed of how my life was turning out. Um, I was on the verge of bariatric surgery, and um, just before starting to schedule appointments and stuff, I uh, heard about a 12-step program for food addiction that was different from um, other programs that I had tried because I had been in another 12-step program for for food stuff earlier and also other 12-step programs as well. I heard of the program, heard that people had lost weight in it, I went to try it, and I was willing. And I had, um, you know, what people call the gift of desperation, which is one of the cutesy acronyms that people in 12-step programs have for God, gift of desperation. So, you know, I was, I was ready to listen to what, to what people had to say, and that's, that's a lot of what allowed it to work for me. Well, yes, it sounded like you were in a very tough place and um, had tried things before, and that now you, you, it almost sounds like a surrender, basically. Totally, you you yeah. surrendered. And that's interesting because it's often the very first step of a very serious spiritual path. Um, so you were led to this program, and when you encountered the program, what was your experience as an atheist, in discovering that there's this spiritual component that is essentially it's based on. Right. So it was not my, 12, my first 12-step program, as I said. So 
I was not surprised when I came in about the God stuff. And, and I knew that I could sort of deal with that because, well, now it's 20 years earlier at the time, I guess it was about 16 or 17 years earlier. I had been in another 12 step program. I had come up against the third step, which is, um, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. At that point in my life, when I was um, just uh, late 20s, early 30s, I guess, I was a radical feminist, postmodern, nonconformist. I was not particularly solid in my atheism, but I definitely couldn't stomach the idea of praying to the patriarchal gods of mainstream religions. You know, so I just decided to be playful about it and that I would invent a god. And um, I gave her a name and physical attributes. I drew pictures of her. I built a shrine to her in my apartment, which I painted purple and, you know, put candles on and stuff. And then, you know, I drifted out of that program. I drifted out of, you know, thinking about that that goddess. Her name is uh, Ms. X. And when I came into this 12-step program, you know, 17 years later, I was not so radical. I was, you know, had a family and a mortgage and a professional job. And, and also, you know, when I did it in, you know, in my late 20s, my, the 12-step program or the 12-step meetings that I had attended were in a gay and lesbian Alano club. And I don't know, it's just a, because that's who I, I just, I didn't want to be around I don't know, conventional people. And I don't know, as I said, I considered myself a radical. So, um, but when I came back to it, you know, the 12 step program that I was in was people who were dressed fairly well. It was a clean room. It was a different program where people would listen to somebody speak from in front of the room. And, and it also took God very seriously so I had to, you know, I had to come to terms with it in some way. I've read a lot of philosophy. I, I'm not an academic, but um, but I'm sort of a, uh, a wannabe, almost academic. So I've read a lot of Wittgenstein and pragmatist philosophers and um, postmodern stuff. And so when people were telling me, you know, get down on your knees and pray in the morning for an abstinent day and say the serenity prayer and get down on your knees in the evening and say the serenity prayer and thank God for an abstinent day. Um, I said, okay, I can do this. I mean, I, I felt like I had surrendered. I was going to do it. It didn't mean that I was going to believe that God existed, but I could, I could do what they were asking me to do. And then, um, at one point I was, my sponsor was in a different town. I was visiting the town my sponsor was in. And um, she heard me say the, the serenity prayer without using the word God. I just said, you know, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. People open up the meetings with that prayer. And uh, I said it without saying God. And she, at the break, said, are you saying that prayer without saying God? And I said, um, yeah. She said, should try saying it, you know, with God, you know, put, put God in there. And so I did. Willingness is one of the most prized qualities in right. a 12-step program. Right. And so I was determined to be willing. You know, what's interesting also, Siegfried, about that is um, that your sponsor noticed that. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it is, isn't even so much about God to me as it is about the wanting to control something 
which then keeps you in control by even leaving out that word. Because we can talk about this for a minute, but if you want to get into the, you know, what this is in the 12-step programs, like what the steps are perhaps for people who aren't familiar, and what the role spirituality plays in it, you know, you can hear things like um, uh, God can be anything, your higher power can be anything. It can be, you know, the ocean or a tree, or it, it can be anything so long as it isn't you. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, so um, I think that might have been what the, you know, what a good sponsor was trying to, to point out there. Can you share a little bit about the, um, the steps? You mentioned one before. Alcoholics Anonymous was the first 12-step program started in the 1930s uh, by Bill W. and Dr. Bob. And they wrote the book Alcoholics Anonymous and, you know, it spread like wildfire. And, uh, um, other 12-step programs started coming into existence. I'm not, I don't have the full history, but I'm guessing in the 50s and then uh, over the 60s and 70s, they just uh, expanded into lots of areas, narcotics and um, gambling, food, um, sex addictions, um, codependence, um, all sorts of things. So um, people have found that this, you know, addiction model along with the spiritual program is incredibly effective at bringing together people who have a similar problem. And interestingly, um, one of the things that comes up when people talk about spirituality, especially when they talk about atheists and, and religious communities, is the idea of being with like-minded people. Um, 12-step programs do not bring together like-minded people. They bring together an incredible diversity of people who happen to suffer from the same problem, but otherwise have almost nothing in common. And I actually find that it, that, that diversity brings us closer. I mean, you know, we, we've got this bond in that we all suffer from the same thing. But since we're not all the same, we have to kind of drop everything else. Like all that matters is is the problem, and and finding a solution to it. So, anyway, the 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 twelve steps themselves are a um, you know a, a plan for working a spiritual program. They begin with admitting that you're powerless over the addictive substance, whatever it may be. Uh, then it gets into the God stuff, uh, came to um, believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Um, then you tur turn your will and your life over the care of God as you understand God. Then come the more practical steps, the making a fearless and thorough moral inventory of, of yourself. So really looking deeply into, you know, what are the, what what's the good and bad in your character? What's, you know, what are you proud of? What are you ashamed of? Um, et cetera. Um, how are you hurting other people? How are you, you know, helping yourself and other people? Um, then you turn that over to other people. Then you become willing to have your, what they, what are called character defects removed. So partly I want to say there, um, you know, the language of the 1930s is fairly moralistic language and talks about character defects in a way that, you know, if somebody was designing the program now, they would probably not describe these things as character defects. But, um, you know, we all have aspects of our character that uh, 
that we wish were different. And so the idea in step six is with those aspects that we wish were different to be willing to be rid of them. And then in step seven, you humbly ask God to remove these character defects. Then there's more practical steps where you make a list of people you had harmed and become willing to make amends to those people. And step nine, you make amends. Step 10, uh, you uh, do more um, moral inventory um, or, you know, in a, in a sort of ongoing way, then you uh, focus on meditation and other ways of being improving your conscious contact with God in step 11. And in step 12, you, you share, you know, you've, you, having had a spiritual awakening, um, share this message with other alcoholics or, or whatever the uh, 12-step program is that you're in with other people who could benefit. Thank you there you so go. Much. I, I don't know if you wanted the whole. No, I did, steps, and uh, and well done, well done. I, I that's uh, that was very helpful. Thank you for that. And you know, as you describe these steps, I'm I'm listening and actually seeing emotion. I don't know if you see that. There's like emotion through these. That's a process of a spiritual awakening that I I've encountered in all kinds of faiths around the world. There just seems to be a pattern involved, you know, the honesty and owning up and all these things that, you know, and handing things over. And I think it's a, it sounds to me like a general pattern of spiritual growth in, uh, in many traditions and, and apparently outside of traditions as well. So now this is a hefty component than the spirituality aspect, the God part or God stuff, as you said uh, before. And I imagine a lot of people run into the stumbling block with that um, and struggle with it. So I know you had encountered it before, and I love that you invented Ms. X. Um, She sounds great. I would like to hear more about her as your your goddess figure. Um, Um, Could I, before we get into that, um, as far as the trouble that people run into with the God idea, I did want to speak about that just briefly, um, because I've made my peace with it in a, in, you know, maybe a creative way, but, but an effective way that's not that different in some ways from the way other people who make their peace with it do that. There, so as you said, there's lots of people who will take a tree or the ocean or, or the fellowship itself as their higher power, and they can make that work. And, and the usual story is that you just, you know, you act as if or fake it till you make it. You just, um, you go through the motions And when it starts working for you, you start believing that God exists because, you know, you're praying to God and you're getting better. So, so apparently something's happening. So God must exist. That's, that's, I think the, the normal trajectory, but there are a lot of people who come in and their, their objection to the God ideas is deeper than mine is. And some of them stay and some of them go, there have been a lot of attempts to create atheist or agnostic versions of the 12 steps since the 12 steps have been so successful. And since so many people feel uncomfortable going into a 12 step group because of, you know, and a lot of them, they say the Lord's prayer at the end. And yeah, there's just a lot of language that's very hard to take if you're a strong atheist or just sort of an outsider to religious tradition. I just wanted to say there, you can take the tack that I took, which is figuring out a way to use the group as it exists while 
doing something creative with your interaction with the group to make it work for you. And, and the 12 steps make themselves very amenable to that approach. But there are people you know, who have decided that that approach won't work and um, are trying to create alternatives. And it's been a little spotty as far as I can tell because I've you know, spent some time trying to look at those groups. I just think you know, the number of committed atheists in any given society is small enough that it's hard to get enough people to, to get groups. I mean, because so much of it depends on there being people around that you can meet with. But, there, but these efforts are still ongoing, and uh, I just wanted to make sure that people know about that. So, so would you like to see then, let's say, an atheist uh, group of a 12-step program that is sort of more aligned with your experience? Because you said something really interesting in, in uh, just a moment ago about you know in people in the program seeing their you know following these steps and and praying to God and seeing their life change, and for you life changed doing those things even without your belief in God or in a higher power perhaps. So that brings me to asking then what happened in your mind? How, what to your mind what what happened there? How what were you doing that helped so much in the healing of life with that that was with or without a belief in God but which consisted of a spiritual practice? You know, we think of the movies like Star Wars, and I think of The Force. And to me, you know, The Force is a great alternative <laughs> to, uh, you know, any kind of a personal idea of God that people might be struggling with, you know, just like the universal force. Uh, there are many out there, and physics uh, na has named uh, several of them. Um, I'm sure there are more. But uh, so then how would you describe what happened to you? Well, so interestingly, I... I am, as far as this sort of thing goes, a complete atheist. Like, I believe in zero supernatural anything. I believe that we can explain as much as we can explain that the best explanations that we're going to get about how the human mind works and these sorts of transformations work are going to come from something like psychology, psychology of religion, sociology, etc. So I think what happened to me is, uh, is a psychological phenomenon that's described very effectively by William James in a variety of religious experiences, uh, varieties of religious experience, and also in uh, The Will to Believe. People do certain things. You, you go through certain behaviors, including mental behaviors, and it changes the way you see the world, and it changes the way your mind works. So I believe that, you know, all the stories that religious people tell are at least in some way quite true, you know, especially about dramatic conversions and stuff, because I've had a dramatic conversion and kind of can feel how that works. You know, something that was impossible for 40 years suddenly becomes easy. And how does that happen? What has to happen in the mind for that to occur? I'm not so good at explaining exactly how it works, but sort of the way I see it is that I could look at what religious people were doing, what deeply spiritual people were doing. They were helping me to emulate them. I could emulate every aspect of their experience. Um, the only thing I wanted to leave out was the belief in God's existence. I wasn't even going to leave out the God part. I was just going to leave out the God's existence part. And so my experience turned out to be very, very similar 
to the experience of any religious person, and the effects were similar. And, you know, what we know today is that um, placebos are very powerful. <laughs> In fact, we, you know, there have been scientific studies showing that um, placebos can work even when the patient knows that they're taking a placebo. And we're all very familiar with the, you know, with the power of belief and hope and, the, you know, the Hawthorne effect and other sorts of ways that the mind changes based on its beliefs about what will change. So when I see that other people are doing all this stuff and it's working for them, then I can believe that if I do all that stuff, it'll work for me. That's a kind of faith, but it's not a faith in anything supernatural. It's just a faith that they did something that I want to do and I'm going to do it and that they're going to help me. And that's the faith that I have. That's great. That's almost just like the faith in human experience, basically. You know, yeah. I, I write a fair amount about the saints in history, and almost always really just from their human point of view, their, the humanity involved with these people we raise up so much, uh, you know, Francis of Assisi and, and others. And from the human perspective, these were people who suffered, these were people who struggled, had flaws, uh, reached out to others, um, and found their authentic path, you know, basically through the love of other people and, and how they found God on the journey. But it's their humanity that really roots them. And um, I like to write about those stories because we don't hear so much about that, the stuff that's really down to earth and that connects us to each other, because that's where the story really is. That's where he can really help us, you know, that he was a, mm -hmm. a prisoner of war who never could fit back with his family again. You know, this who was is prisoner? Francis of Assisi. Oh, he was. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's so much more there, you know, in the humanity that we don't really explore as, as well as we should on the on the spiritual journey. And that's the stuff that I really like to dig up, and and what you're talking about right now. Now, in the second part of the program, I'd like to get more into the prayer life um, because that's that's important as well, and other ideas and things to share about here. Um, but I'm just going to take a short break right now for a program ID. So just stay on the line. This is Kerr Hallenbeck, and you're listening to the Godspeed Institute, a program dedicated to spiritually-based living and to religious tolerance. When we return from the break, we'll continue our conversation with born-again atheist Siegfried Gold. Stay with us. I've known you You showed me
Welcome back to the Godspeed Institute. You're live with CARE, and we're speaking with Siegfried Gold, an atheist whose life was turned around by the spiritual lifestyle of a 12-step program. Now, Siegfried, we need to return to the subject of prayer that we started in the first part of the show, because uh, you took on a practice of prayer in recovery as an atheist. And uh, it's the thing credited most really, with the the healing that has taken place in your life. Can you please share about your regimen of prayer and how you formulated it? In in the article, I think it was credited most, and it's it gets a lot of attention, the prayer, because it really disturbs people, some people, to hear about atheists praying, especially certain atheists get very disturbed to hear that atheists <laughs> are, are praying. Yeah. And the prayer is definitely very important, and the relationship with God is very important. But I'll say that if there's something that I would credit the most with my healing, or at least the first, it's just the 12-step program in general. It's, you know, that I let go of the food. You know, because the food was, the, the, the complete reliance on that addictive substance um, really closed off the possibility of spiritual development. And, you know, once I was in the program and I let go of the food, my mind started clearing, I was getting all of this kind of spiritual advice that is the thing that turns it from, you know, being a diet into being something that you can actually do for your whole life. Because if I just lost 110 pounds and had to keep going to meetings and stuff just so that I could never put it back again, I would get bored and I would stop. But since I have the promise of you know, continuing to grow spiritually, which to me means like being a better father, being a better husband, um, living a more meaningful life, um, helping other people. You know, those are those are uh, pursuits that I can work on and, you know, feel like I have long way to grow forever. So that's what that's what I would say is the, you know, central thing. Now, prayer is a tool that is very important in the midst of that. And, uh, you know, it's funny that people who object to atheists praying, they don't object to the idea of atheists meditating. Like uh, some of the comments that, you know, angry comments I heard from atheists when the story came out were, you know, why do you have to call it prayer? You're just, you know, meditating. Right, Um, right. That is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, funny because I do both. I I also meditate 30 minutes a day 
And in a way, it's kind of hard to distinguish them, but in another way, it's fairly easy to distinguish them. Um, Meditation, to my mind, is sort of a quieting and letting go of internal language, quieting the voices in my mind so that I can kind of see what's there. Prayer, on the other hand, is actually using the voices in my mind. I mean, directing the voices in my mind, talking explicitly. And we all talk in our minds to um, people who aren't there. You know, probably for most people, for me certainly, um, at the beginning of a romantic relationship, you know, you talk in your mind constantly to this person, you know, when they're not there. And, uh, you know doing all this rehearsing for all the wonderful things you're going to say when you're right. together. <laughs> that's, a, that's right, that's right. And yeah. then you get together and, you know, then you spend the rest of your life talking to that person, you know, saying what a jerk they are. <laughs> no. Well, you know, I, I appreciate your making the distinction. Um, uh, I really enjoyed the phrase, and I don't know if this is the reporter's phrase or yours, but the power of asking... Maybe if you write a book, you'll call it that. The power yeah. of asking is, uh, that really resonated with me because, you know, g- belief in God or no, you can always ask, you know, the sky, exactly. the stars for, you know, help or guidance or, you know, we, I don't, for me, meditation doesn't answer all things. There are crises that come up right. and, and my thoughts get more pointed just like yours. Um, right. Or so fears, I, or just fears, you know, that, that you ask to be calmed down, even if it's not directed at a particular entity. Right. And there's something uh, really, yeah, it's incredibly powerful about that. I was thinking about the serenity prayer. I mean, it's just, you know, a beautiful prayer. Um, but just taking the first part of it, you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. Now, I could say that not as a prayer. This was, so what would it sound like then? All right, I'm going to start being serene about the things that I cannot change. Or I'm going to start being serene so that I can accept the things that I cannot change. It's just a totally different attitude. It, I mean, I can tell myself it's time for some serenity now. And then I and basically giving myself another task on top of all of the other tasks that I have. And, and I know that I'm going to fail at it because, you know, there's going to be lots of times that I'm not serene. So I end up giving myself something else to feel bad about, you know, but when I, when I phrase it as a, as a request, and in this very interesting way, this is where, being an atheist who prays becomes sort of the most mystical thing in the world. If you ask a God who you believe exists, you know, give me serenity, grant me serenity so that I can accept the things that I cannot change, um, you know, maybe the God's going to give it to you or, or maybe not. Um, but when you ask a God that doesn't exist for that, uh, you know, you're simply saying, you know, Give me this thing. I know you don't even exist, but please give it to me. You know you have no no right to expect it. I mean, if if you believe God exists, maybe you believe that God has an obligation to give you the, the serenity. But if you don't even believe that God exists, 
all you're doing is asking. But you're asking, and it's a request, and so if it is granted, you put yourself into a position to be grateful. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for that. Now, I have to also stop for a moment and congratulate you because of, uh, you know, what you shared earlier. Um, and I don't mean just the weight loss, um, but, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about food and how all these other things you were mentioning, whether it was alcohol or, uh, or narcotics or what, you know, whatnot, gambling even, are things that we can live without and that food you know, an addiction to food or, or even just ingredients in food is, is a really special challenge because of somehow needing to interact with it yeah. um, in our life. And um, so, first of all, <laughs> I don't want to waste any more time here and b- before I gr- congratulate you on, um, on what you've done and, um, and, and with the help of a fellowship, you know, in terms of this uh, transformation. So now... Here you are later. Now you have a website and blog called Tailored Beliefs, which I like. I love the logo with the diverse forms of spiritual expressions on it, like different higher powers holding hands and including a monk and an octopus. (laughs) Um, And and how a higher power can take any form. Um, Can you share about that? And and what are you working on now? Let's see. Um, I guess my... My experience just tells me that it's possible from this position of being an outsider and of being having a basic refusal to ex- to entertain the idea of supernatural things um, that it's still possible to gain all the benefits that are available from uh, religious practices. You know, there's scientific evidence, plenty of scientific evidence out there nowadays that um, just believing in God improves your uh, life, your life expectancy, um, and lowers blood pressure and stuff. And you know, so it really, really brings Pascal's wager, you know, just to to the immediate moment. Like even if you take out the, I could either have you know eternal bliss or, or eternal damnation. I mean, you could really just live a couple years longer if you're just willing to believe. But a lot of us aren't willing to believe. But can we, can we get those benefits, not just the lower blood pressure and extended lifespan, but what about the community? What about the feeling that I can draw on whatever traditions and love and, and companionship from other people so that I can be a better person and live a more fulfilling life and be hopeful and all of that. So my experience tells me that that's really accessible to even very strange, curmudgeonly, misanthropic people like myself. Uh, is there a curmudgeon on the line? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's interesting. But, you know, you, you bring up something that, that comes up fairly often in uh, our culture these days, uh, especially here, that there's there's the... Uh, something emerging that is more about being spiritual rather than religious. And a lot of folks out there, including, you know, some of the people you mentioned before who might have given you some angry comments, um, even if they're atheists, have taken up a practice like yoga. Mm -hmm. 
uh, yoga or meditation, yoga meditation, which actually is a religious practice from its original tradition. Um, but it's been sort of teased out and utilized for its own benefits here uh, yeah. and in a very popular way. So I think you're on to something, you know, that's not only about that, but also about what you've experienced um, in your in this 12-step program uh, and your own particular experience of of utilizing a, a tool from, a, you know, s- a spiritual tradition, um, whether you call it prayer or, or meditation, but the making it routine, making it daily part of your life so that you're almost like reprogramming yourself. And as, as you were saying, the, the healing effect was on your psyche. Right. Um, and that's really important. You know, psyche is just as important <laughs> as, as any other part of us. Um, so, but then now you're also adding in the important component of not just leaving it there, but with the purpose of being helpful then to the others around you and in bringing in that connection again. So you're offering just really valuable feedback right now and experience, um, from your own journey. And you just sound so much in like, you're right in the midst of it and, uh, and sort of destined to take this and, and really, really use it, you know, not just in your life, but, but for others as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have no idea where any of this is going, but, um, uh, the other day, somebody who, you know, shares childhood friends with me who lives in the same town. I'm in, I'm in Washington, DC. Um, now, uh, you know, saw the article he wanted to get together and, and, um, wanted to talk about, he's been reading all these new atheists, uh, Dawkins and Hitchens and Harris and been very influenced by all of that, but still feels a hankering for something. And so when he read my story, he wanted to understand it. And, and it's hard for him to understand it. It's hard, you know, people have a strong reaction when they hear that an atheist is praying. They want to say, you know, so you're just hypnotizing yourself. You're just fooling yourself the same way these other people are. But for some reason, you don't want to call it, you know, you want to somehow act like you're doing something different by calling your God non-existent, but you're still fooling yourself into believing that something can listen to you. I don't know. That's sort of what they're saying. And it, it bugs them because they, they can see that I'm doing something that's working and that all these religious people are doing something that's working, but they don't feel that they can do it. They don't feel that it's open to them and it, and it kind of makes them mad I don't know if it's envy or if it's more that they feel like we're also trying to shove it down their throat and make them do what we're doing. Um, I don't know. Perhaps it's it's more of that the fear of someone like surrendering, and yeah, you know, something it's exactly. something else. Like I'm trying to believe this, and I don't want to surrender. I don't know because I mean, even if without a religion, I I grew up without a religion, um, <laughs> but that you know doesn't mean. Um, that uh, that even without that, even without religion, that it, that when I looked in my like baby's eyes, uh, that I didn't see something there. That there's you can call it God, the universe, a mystery. There's something you know uh, in my my newborn's eyes that I that is just so stunning to me, and from a different place or with a different knowledge, something I've forgotten, or there's just some connection that's there, and it's all to me. It, you know, language aside or verbiage aside, it's still empirical to me. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a fact. It's um, uh, it's it's inspiring. 
mm-hmm. it was a great reminder to me that there's so much more that I kind of tend to forget about because we get so busy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ev- anything that inspires like that, whether it's called God or not, has value. You know, mm-hmm. anything that just sort of jumpstarts your heart and, and makes you go, oh, you know, in your solar plex and, and get a bigger picture on life, you know, um, yeah. is, is, of, is helpful and, and inspiring. So perhaps, you know... The, big, I, go the ahead. big question for me is how do we make that available to people who, who just feel like it's impossible for them to get it? Who, who, it just looks weird. And I'm sort of calling those people outsiders because I think that's what I was. Um, you know, I was never going to feel comfortable in any congregation. Um, and I do believe it, it's, not, it's not just that we connect with the force as individuals, uh, whatever that, you know, I'm just using what you said. It, it, Whatever the inspiring thing is, we can't do it by ourselves. We can't just look in. We can't just look into our baby's eyes and and have a religious conversion. I don't think. Um, no, no. But you know what I mean. There, there are just things that are beyond me. You know, I can even in science. You know, I love science. I, I've worked a lot with um, the space sciences, especially. They inform my faith. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's not an either or going on with me. I love science and have embraced it for, for many years. But, you know, I can, I can understand what something is. I don't necessarily know how or why it works, because that to me is almost ver- verging into a different answer. You know, I know how my heart beats. I don't know why it does. Why is it? Mm-hmm. See, that's the spark that is beyond me. And I, but, but your relationship with that mystery, I think, is, the, is sort of key because some people are very excited by the mystery and some people don't want any part of it because we need answers. And I think a lot of this might be hinging in, the, in this sort of area, um, what one's relationship is with not knowing. Is it fun <laughs> um, to just ask something that's not there? Is it fun? You know, it sounds like fun. It's worked for you, you know, but, but others might, you know, just not, not, not see the value. And that's okay. Some of our most popular shows on this program have been with atheist Ron Aronson um, and another Eric Wielenberg, uh, who wrote about virtue in a godless universe. And the focus there is much more on ethics and, and you know, personal morality and enjoying life just for life, nature just for nature. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is a very open and, you know, welcoming forum, you know, for, for anyone's experience. Um, but you're adding something here today that's very intriguing to me. And um, as we come toward the end of the interview, I, I just I hope to hear from you again. I hope we'll have another chat perhaps uh, in yeah. the future. And... Um, and I don't know if you have any, if there's anything, any closing uh, thought you might want to advise, uh, perhaps someone who, someone else who yeah. might be going into a 12-step program and bump into the God thing. No, you know what, I, I think that these people that I'm describing, these outsiders, are, are, my guess is that they're not your audience, that your audience, your audience is very receptive to spiritual ideas. 
Um, so I, what I would like to close with maybe is just a, a request of, of your audience that they think about the people who are not open to these spiritual ideas and have some compassion towards them. As we near the end of the interview, I also want to let listeners know that all of your, your website and contact information will be posted shortly on our site at godspeedinstitute.com. And Siegfried, I just want to thank you so much for being on the program today. It was a wonderful conversation. And yeah, it's a complete delight for me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And we wish you the best of luck on your journey. You're, you're knee-deep in it, and, uh, and it's really exciting to listen to and, and just... God or no God, we send blessings (laughs) for your journey. Thank you so much. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for the Godspeed Institute today. The Godspeed Institute is an independent educational organization dedicated to promoting religious tolerance and spiritually based living. If you'd like to hear this or any of our previous programs again, or send it to someone, simply go to godspeedinstitute.com. Please send your comments to info at godspeedinstitute.com. We always enjoy hearing from you. And join us again as we continue to explore all the world's religions and spiritual belief systems. Until then... We wish you Godspeed on your journey.